Hey, this is Real Sankara Hours. Real Sankara Hours. Follow us at Sankara Hours on Twitter. This is Adam Hudson. Follow me at Adam Hudson 5 on Twitter. And this is Peter M. Gunn. Follow me at M. Gunn Peter. Yeah, uh, just some quick housekeeping. Um, follow us at... Um, start, follow us on... Pa- donate to our Patreon. $5 a month, you get bonus episodes, so double the content for $5 a month. Patreon.com slash Hours. So, again, Patreon.com slash Hours. We're also on SoundCloud. We're on Spotify. And if you want to get our RSS feed to stay up to date with our upcoming episodes, go to our Podbean realsoncarhours.podbean.com that'll be in the show notes and you're gonna want to follow us because we have our first guest so you don't have to, you don't have to just listen to our voices um yeah so i'm really excited uh caitlin nick why don't you guys uh introduce yourselves okay cool i can go first thanks for having us and i didn't even realize we were your first guest till three minutes ago so thank you for giving us this opportunity i know right i feel honored <laughs> i feel yep. very honored yeah so my name is caitlin Saposi belknap um i'm on twitter uh my name is spelled with a k a i t l i n and uh i live in sacramento california and um i do work with a bunch of different organizations but the main one is move to amend where um i'm the national director but uh, as it relates to um, politics and electoral politics, uh, these days I'm working with Movement for Our People's Party, which I think we'll get to talk about, and I'll let Nick say more about that because he's the one who's yeah. been doing that for a while. But I've also been a Green for a long time, uh, ever since I was 18, um, except for for a week there where I re-registered as a Democrat this year for the very first time. It, it hurt a bit, but I did it for the team. <laughs> to vote for Bernie Sanders. <laughs> and that's good enough for me right now. I'm outside, so if you hear birds, that's that's me. Getting some vitamin D, natural vitamin D that helps your immune system. And I'm uh, Nick Branna. I uh, live in the D.C. area um, in Virginia. And I've um, worked in politics uh, for uh, most of my adult life um uh for the democrats for uh most of that time for several years until i left them in 2017 i i worked for bernie on his campaign in 2016 lobbied the superdelegates for him helped bernie found our revolution the group he started after that um and then um and and then went on and formed the movement for a people's party for a major uh new uh uh, progressive populist party in the United States. Okay, yeah. So actually, before I we get into the 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 real nitty gritty stuff of why we're here, uh, how's everyone doing with the quarantine? I'm I'm in California. I'm in Pittsburgh, California, in the in the Bay Area, and uh, I've at this point it's been a month and a half in shelter in place, and I'm just kind of used to it. Um, and people are kind of wondering like. When when is the uh, quarantine gonna end? It's like no one no one really knows. Uh, <laughs> so at this point, it's sort of like become this weird uh, uh, new reality. But yeah, how's how's everyone else holding up? Because this is very you know new for all of us. 
Well, I'm doing okay. My biggest challenge, I'm in Sacramento, like I said, which is, you know, where my house is. My biggest challenge is that I was going to go visit my family in New Mexico um, right before this and was actually like kind of headed out. And then this happened and, and my mother was supposed to get on the, she had qualified for the lung transplant list because she has an autoimmune lung disease and she needs a lung transplant. And then they shut oh. down and stopped doing lung transplants. So she didn't, she didn't go to Phoenix to do that. And now she's sheltering in place in Santa Fe and everyone is, you know, we're just really scared if she ends up in the hospital and something takes a bad oh. turn, we might never see her. And so yeah. I'm doing fine, but that's my like, pretty real pretty fucked up <laughs> thing that's yeah. in the background all the time and trying to figure out whether I really should just go there but then I would need to quarantine for three weeks because literally COVID-19 is like the worst thing that could happen to her so there's no way I could bring yeah. that with me and you know have that go okay so I have some things up in the air about where I'm gonna be and and whether they'll even let us you know so far I think I could drive to New Mexico and probably be okay but I don't know um, I don't know. It feels it feels precarious. Yeah. That's me. Yeah, that's heavy. Yeah, Peter or, or Nick or whoever wants to go. Okay. Yeah. Um, like I've, I'm still in Maine, uh, Portland, Maine, where yeah, most of the city shut down. Are and uh, I don't. You know, I'm off. I'm on unemployment. I worked in a bar beforehand, and no one really knows when all that stuff's gonna come back. You know, presumably in the next month, but I'll, I'm, I don't know. It's 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 follow, following the way. It's like, oh well, we have to reopen the economy, but you know, actually that's not really gonna help or anything. So I don't I don't know what's gonna happen. Um, also, yeah. But my life's very up in the air right now, so I'm just still trying to roll with it. Um, it's really, yeah, it's really kind of came at the worst time for a lot of people, I think. Yeah. Uh, Nick? Um, uh, yeah, I've been cooped up for the last uh, month uh, here in Virginia. They came down with a shutdown order, uh, basically a shelter-in-place order like two weeks ago. So basically just been been uh, locked up um, since then uh, but uh, but you know there's like been all these I've I've been more busy <laughs> than ever before because <laughs> uh, because like uh, so much is happening politically now in the US and you know as MPP is like this is the biggest breakdown in like the two parties you know particularly the Democratic Party that I think we've seen in generations is happening right now with um, like millions of people basically refusing to fall in line with um, uh, with Biden. Yeah, yeah. Actually, let's just let's just get right into it. Um, yeah. So, like, I mean, obviously, Bernie Sanders dropped out um, last week. Um, and for those of you who follow follow our show, just just listen to our last episode because we did like kind of a sort of a post-mortem on his campaign because this i think this episode will be a nice follow follow-up from that so um but yeah now like i saw i mean now everything is like pretty much squaring in everyone's putting their chips in with biden right like everyone for well not everyone from the bernie campaign but a lot of people are like 
okay, we got to support Biden because Trump is this existential threat, right? Um, and Bernie just came out with this joint live stream video with Joe Biden where he, did you guys see that? It's like, yes. Yeah. And um, also there was an interview he did with the Associated Press where he was basically saying um, progressives who sit on their hands and don't support Biden are going to enable Trump. So Bernie Sanders is basically saying pretty much the same thing everyone's saying, that it, which is that, hey, you know, you got to support Biden. If you don't support Biden, you're going to get Trump in office. And if you do that, you're the worst person in the world. Um, I mean, there's all kinds of like, you know, just just even worse, like kind of disingenuous arguments um, like, hey, if you know, if you don't vote for Biden, you're privileged because you don't care about people of color. Um, you know, me and Peter, we're both African-American. It's like, OK, to, to that that being said to us it's like okay wait what do you it's even more disingenuous to say to people like to to say to like black leftists like us like oh wow you're gonna call us privileged like yeah it's such a privilege to be like you know um be the a part of the demographic that's most likely to get killed by police yeah that's a ton of privilege right there um anyway uh so what it yeah go ahead peter oh also i seem to notice that most of the people who make that argument like have media jobs yeah. that you know pay a lot more than 14 dollars an hour so yeah i don't know i don't know where where they're getting this but um so yeah uh caitlin nick what's your reaction to even sanders saying like support biden everyone else say support biden what, what do you guys say to that well i can start you can go out, um and then nick i'm sure can add in but uh, I mean, it's no surprise. Bernie said he was going to support the nominee and he said he was going to support Biden. So, I mean, I think that was actually his first mistake was not really uh, challenging Biden. You know, the constant kind of, oh, he's my friend. He'll be fine. He can beat Trump, even though he literally is probably the weakest uh, nominee. I mean, certainly in our lifetimes, it's like the one person maybe that's worse than Hillary Clinton, Biden, because his brain doesn't even work. So... Um, you know, him, him falling into line was no surprise to me. Um, what was a little bit, uh, you know, extra was so quickly turning around endorsing him and then, um, saying that anybody who doesn't support Biden is irresponsible. That felt like, you know, kind of a overly harsh slap in the face to many of his supporters that, you know, a lot of people got into politics inspired by Bernie Sanders, and it just feels like irresponsible leadership. Um, also, he seems like he's got nothing to show for falling into line. Like, what did he get from Biden? So far, we haven't seen shit. So that's also, uh, you know, on the table of like, all right, <laughs> you couldn't even get anything. You couldn't even demand well, anything. I guess apparently he got a task force, you know, so that's that's got to be something, right? He got a task force. It, it's I force. stand by he got nothing. <laughs> <laughs> on, uh, on Rising, if you guys have, have watched that show with Crystal Barl and Cigar and Jetty, great show. And they said the task force is like worse than nothing. <laughs> yeah, that's like the assignment where they're like, they just put him over there and try to get rid of him. I mean, I, I, do, I do wonder like, I don't know. Part of me feels like a sucker for even going along with it. And that like back back in the early days when people said Bernie was a sheepdog, they were right all along. 
I don't really understand like how he's feeling right now or why he would eat just on a personal level, why he would humiliate himself like that. But that's why I'm not cut out for big DC politics, I guess. And we got a taste of like this approach, you know, like it's not even going to work. That's going to be the ultimate like insult to injury is that Bernie's, you know, supporters are not just going to like, and he said this in an interview once, they're not just going to listen to him or anyone else, you know, like tell that who, who tells them, oh, okay, now support like the antithesis of, you know, who I am or Corp Wall Street candidate. It didn't work when he tried it with Hillary. He was bringing out tens of thousands of people and, you know, like every rally that he went to, you know, when I was on the campaign and I saw it, like, you know, and then the minute he endorsed Hillary Clinton, he was, you know, and he went, he went on, he started campaigning for her and he was bringing out 100, 150 people. It was pathetic, you know, so like it, it's going to happen again, you know, and the real tragedy is that he... And I feel like others like in the progressive movement and the left didn't learn their lesson from that first time that you can't just like shame voters into supporting, you know, your like neoliberal candidates and expect that that's going to like defeat Trump or produce anything like resembling working class politics. Yeah, um, you know, like uh, uh, that's like, I mean, because like you guys, I think all of us to varying degrees have like long experiences in the quote-unquote left i'll i'll say left in quotes because sometimes i i sometimes i get wary of saying there's an actual left in america like it's not like other countries where you have like organized like legitimate left-wing parties like in like in india for example there's an actual communist party in the state of kerala and they've done a managed to do a pretty good job of dealing with the coronavirus in in india so like there's an actual organized left in countries like india and parts of europe whereas america it's like there are like i feel like the bernie sanders campaign was inklings of of an actual left but there's no real organized left but but anyway i think like all all four of us have long experiences in in left-wing politics of of some sort and like one thing that's always um kind of it's just something that's like i'm it, it even when i think about it, it's like it's i want to like hit my head against the wall because every four years we go through this right it's like hey uh you know this democrat we have in office they're not perfect but if you vote if you don't vote for them the apocalypse is going to happen and it's just it's the x xyz list of reasons of why you have to vote democrat and it's like, okay, we had that with, um, okay, we can even go with Obama, right? Um, you know, vote for Obama in 2008. Um, his response to the crash is pretty weak. And then you also saw the um, explosion of the targeted killing program and drone strikes under Obama. And even the assassination of a U.S. citizen. So, like, Obama pit, you know, pivoted even more to the right. Then when it was 2012, it's like, okay, yeah, Obama, like, you know, he's not perfect, but Mitt Romney... Uh, if, if if you don't vote for Obama, then Mitt Romney is going to bring the apocalypse. Okay, uh, Obama won, you know, and then also Black Lives Matter happened under Obama. Like, there's still systemic racism and police violence. 2016, uh, you know, it was Bernie Sanders, you know, Hillary Clinton, and then, you know, Donald Trump. And people are like, okay, look, if, if you don't vote for Hillary Clinton, um, that means Donald Trump is going to be in office and, uh, that, you know, this, this, this is going to be hell. Well, obviously, you know, Donald Trump is in office. 
Um, and even Donald Trump himself isn't really like a major break with the system itself in terms of actual policy. So, but it's like the left is always caught in in this in this sort of back and forth. Like, okay, we always go with this thing of like we have to do harm reduction and pick the lesser of two evils. But what do we get? Like, what 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 do, what do we actually get from that approach? Because in my experience, it's like okay, at some point you have to be like what's the alternative so like um nick caitlin like what do you guys think the alternative is to this this sort of two-party kind of back and forth um you know this it it just seems like a sort of like a never-ending struggle between like the left and the democrats and republicans and it's like okay even if we get a democrat like what do we what do we get because i never hear that like in all these like kind of lefty media circles i never hear like what do we actually get for if you if you're on the left or you care about progressive policy progressive values like what do we get because i don't it, it to me it doesn't seem like we don't really get anything so what what do you guys think what 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 do we actually get children in cages hidden <laughs> yeah. yeah you go nick you go um yeah you you get the same savagery uh of the country uh with a with a smile and a civility and a decorum um that obama represented so well you know it's like there really isn't a like political especially you know particularly in um in the economic sphere or like foreign policy like there isn't like meaningful difference between the democrats and republicans anymore uh it's like they've taken that off the table um and uh and so all you get is like the the appearance of empire and of oligarchy you know that that just maybe looks a little better uh a little more civilized to the corporate media um and like in terms of like what we do about it i think we've got to do what the majority of americans have wanted now uh, for years and like, you know, a growing majority and we have to form a major new party in the United States. And like, that's one of the things that, you know, Caitlin and I are working on now, um, is, is, you know, like, this is a moment where like the Republican party, when you look at what Trump's doing right now, you know, like Trump suspended, you know, uh, foreclosures and evictions, like Trump has expanded, um, Medicare more than Biden you know, at like in this moment. And, you know, it, it's Republicans who like came up with uh, the direct cash payments, for example, the Democrats actually fought it, Pelosi fought it. Um, like a Repu- there's a Republic, you know, the Republicans have proposed, a Republican has proposed a plan like to pay, you know, 80% of uh, people's wages, you know, during the, during coronavirus pandemic. And so it's like, you're, it's almost like you're seeing the Republican Party is becoming the populist party of this country, or like the closest thing it has to it. And then the Democratic Party is becoming the party of elites and the establishment party. Like they're, you're, I think you're seeing a, 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 a reversal and it's happened before in American history. Yeah, I, I do want to say that is that is something that, you know, for people who are who are very concerned about the rise of fascism, um, that's something that sort of very much concerns me is the Republicans sort of pivoting away from just being 
you know, corporate bag men, you know, enthusiastically so, and starting to sort of, you know, competently to whatever degree, uh, understand, you know, implement social welfare policies. And I still don't know how successful they're going to be, but I'm, you know, they are certainly aware of the political gains to be made while Democrats will just become, you know, they'll be rendered pretty irrelevant, um, which I think is actually why I'm glad you guys are on here, because, I, like, I, like you said, I think this is a unique historical opportunity, but at the same time, uh, you know, there have been multiple attempts in American history to sort of get a real labor party going, and, you know, they haven't necessarily succeeded for, you know, this reason or that, but, you know, in your estimation, why do you think this is sort of a unique historical moment? Well, I think part of um, what we have is a large, a large number of people who have who are younger, and who don't have any sort of like memory of what we could get back to. So Biden's message of you know make America great again and in a different way then Trump is saying it doesn't really mean anything. I think we also have a Democratic Party that has shown itself to not actually care about winning all that much. Um, like they played their ultimate Trump card, which is that they um, are okay with Trump winning if it meant that they could beat Bernie Sanders. And it's less about Bernie Sanders because obviously he'll fall into line as a <clears throat> senator, you know, they kind of know his game, but the movement that Bernie was able to coalesce and step in front of and bring together and all of that um, is what they're actually afraid of. And so that movement has a lot of energy, a lot of momentum. Um, you know, I think there's no guarantee that we're going to be able to pull this off because the threat of the, you know, lesser of evils being Trump is one that's really real. But I mean, especially all of all of the messages that Democrats have been trying to use, oh, you know, Trump is a misogynist, Trump is a racist, um, you know, all true. But Biden is a misogynist, too. You know, I mean, right before uh, mm -hmm. this came out, the creeperness that everybody could tell and see was there, you know, turns into something a lot more real and a lot more um, uh, menacing. And then with, um, you know, the, the, the rape allegation, I think it should be called rape because that's what it is. Um, and then, uh, you know, Biden is absolutely racist. I mean, yeah, he can hide behind Obama, but, you know, we all know um, his role in the crime bill and the incarceration of, you know, African-Americans and he's anti-immigrant and all this. And so it's like, they're sort of down to the bottom of the barrel and they don't even really give a shit. And so that momentum and energy um, that they might be able to kind of coalesce around a threat of Trump is just really hollow. And, um, and then if you add on the economic situation that people are in, plus this pandemic exacerbating it, plus the threat of climate change, is, which is much more of an existential, existential threat than Donald Trump is, and, you know, you're moving people towards kind of having nothing to lose. Now, that doesn't necessarily translate in history to people actually exercising their power. Um, but uh, I think we have more potential than, than we ever have, certainly in my lifetime, uh, to do, you know, what Nick just said is break away and build a new party 
and to have it not be, you know, a third party, but rather to replace the Democratic Party because they have rendered themselves um, uh, irrelevant or, you know, or maybe they will become the party of the elites. I don't really give a shit. This two party system charade that we have that's not real is 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 really the, the foe. And, you know, I think more people see that than ever before. And I also think that more people are ready to throw down. Can that be um, uh, directed in a way that is, you know, organized and coherent? Um, that that's the task that's before us. Uh, uh, so I I there I think there are two um, articles that back up what you guys are saying. So in in 2018, October 26, 2018, there is a Gallup poll. <clears throat> That says uh, basically a majority of people in the United States think a third party is needed. Um, this is 2018, but I think it's, it's it's been pretty consistent since at least 2006. Um, in 2006, 48% of people of Americans think thought that a third party was needed versus 45% um, who felt the two-party system was doing an, an adequate job. But in 2018, um, basically. 57% said that there's a need for a third major political party while uh far, fi yeah 57% said said that there was a need for a third major political party while 38% of Americans believe the current two-party system is adequate um and that's yeah it's been pretty consistent um i mean yeah like going back to at least 2016 but but the gap there's there's been this huge gap since 2013 which is during the Obama years, actually, with Obama's second term. So yeah, like I mean, what what you guys are saying about like how this is a how this seems like a a very an opportune time to challenge that two party system. There, it, it what you're saying is is actually not that far off from what the majority of Americans think. And then there's this um I don't know if you guys watch the, uh, sorry read the uh, it's this satire site called The Hard Times. It's kind of like The Onion, but for, like, punks and metalheads. Um, anyway, they have this satire, they have this satirical article that sometimes satire bleeds into reality, and this is one of them. And the headline said, Moderate Democrats suggest working with coronavirus to find common ground. And there's a picture... <laughs> yeah, this is a satire site. <laughs> and there's a picture of Chuck Schumer speaking, and then there's, like, a uh, 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 the, the picture within the picture is a... Uh, the coronavirus and uh this is um this is like the fake chuck schumer quote and he said it's our priority to find a solution everyone is happy with nancy pelosi and i have been meeting with the coronavirus to try to work out a plan that both saves lives and kills people we can't afford to be p partisan or idealistic and we have to be willing to make concessions if that means giving up everything we want so be it like this is satire but is I mean, this is a case where satire bleeds into reality. Yeah, um, and I think that's what I mean. It's 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 funny but sad because it it just shows like how uh, feckless the Democratic Party is. I mean, especially with the um, we did an episode I think a couple weeks ago on the uh, the uh, the so-called stimulus bill, which is essentially a Wall Street slush fund, um, like. <laughs> You know, we're reaching 30% unemployment, which is much higher than the Great Depression, by the way. At the height of the Great Depression, it was um, 25. Like 20. Yeah. 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 Like 25%. And now we're probably going to reach 30. 
And I, I'm pretty sure it'll probably go higher. We can probably reach... I wouldn't be surprised if, we, if we're able to reach 40%. Um, and what did the Democrats get? Like $1,200 checks for four months that like we're probably not even going to get because like the, the, the government's fucking that up too. Like they can't even hand out checks to people. I think I think people I think they started handing them out today, or at least I've been seeing people on Twitter saying they've been getting them. But that's only, you know, that's still nothing. And it's like they're taking it out of your refund and you still have to pay taxes on it. It's it's a pretty bad situation. Right. I mean, um, but I like I like what you said about the difference between a third party and a party to replace the Democrats, because I think that is sort of the task that gets lost um or the distinction that gets lost because there are a lot of people who may be dissatisfied with the democrats but for some reason or another they think that you know a third party or that kind of party organizing um is a waste of time and they just think that you know i guess the democrats are too powerful but as uh I saw I read your or I saw your interview on Jimmy Dornick and you made a good point about how throughout history parties can collapse and spring up and new parties spring up, you know, pretty quickly. And the Democratic Party is actually extremely old. I mean, it goes back about two hundred years at this point. And so, you know, none of these things are sort of faded, but I guess yeah, how could how do you explain the difference between what you're trying to do and you know perhaps other sort of smaller parties that have you know sort of hung around on the american left but haven't hit the big time i suppose i suppose yeah there's i mean there's several different things that i think need to be done differently and like the you know the first is that um it's a there's a context you know like you have to you can't discount the the context that people are living in that's the biggest factor um so you could create you know a, a third independent party like the green party but it could be during a time when people aren't suffering to the degree that they are now and they aren't you know they haven't lost faith in the institutions to the degree that they they have now i mean now like the figures that you were reading adam you know it's like uh the majority of americans want it now um the democrats and republicans have been over the last several years basically dissolving uh millions of people have been leaving them they've been you know um identifying as independents instead uh independents are now the large plurality in the country about 42 percent to uh, about 27 percent democrats and 27 percent republicans out of all americans um so that's that's one thing uh another thing you know and the reasons the reasoning for that is of course that um you know we've lived in an economic system where uh wages have stagnated uh while the cost of everything you know, the cost of health care the cost of student debt you know the cost of um of of a place to live uh has all increased the cost of food uh and so people have just become more and more squeezed uh and then you know in terms of like what needs to happen differently too is that um, it it needs to be essential to be successful. It needs to kind of realign American politics, a major new party, um, uh, and it needs to bring over working people 
you know, from across the political spectrum, basically, and say, like, we're creating a new coalition, you know, around, like, we're getting money out of politics, you know, we need Medicare for all, you know, we need to, like, basically escape this student debt trap um, around those really economically populist issues that, uh, that, like, virtually everyone can agree on, you know, like, money out of politics is, like, more than 90% agreement there. Right, yeah. I think the other issue too is that it's it's kind of just it has to capture the moment. So I mean, the reality is the platform of the Green Party is really you know I mean that's it's Bernie Sanders' platform better. So it's it's in keeping with what people want and all of these you know mainstream principles, populist principles, but you know what the, what the image is that people have of the green party um is that you know it's marginal and small and and has been losing ground for the last 20 years and that's you know that's what's true so um you know the, but the reality is that whenever there has been um a moment where a new party has coalesced and um been able to burst into the mainstream and um eclipse one of the parties that's already there, it generally has been a new party drawing on the work, organizing ideas that have come from um, many different upstart parties before it. And so, you know, I mean, that's how I see what the Green Party is or the um, Peace and Freedom Party. Not that that's been wasted work. In fact, that's planted seeds to bring us to where we are now. But I don't think that it will work to say, you know, come over here, you know, where you have an image, whether it's, you know, like Ralph Nader or Jill Stein or whatever, of something that doesn't really feel like it can um, seize the moment. And so that's part of, you know, why I think that, I mean, that is the reason why I think that a People's Party uh, with a new name, a different kind of tone, uh, much, many, many more young people, many more people of color than the Green Party has ever been able to bring in in mass. Although, you know, a lot of the leadership has been, you know, old time, uh, black and brown socialists, but, uh, still it's, it's more just, uh, you know, um, a messaging issue, um, rather than that there's been anything wrong with these ideas that have already been out there. And also that to me, is a positive. It's like, we don't need to come up with the solution. We already know what the solutions are. We need to coalesce, we need to organize, and we need to demand power. But we don't actually have to come up with a plan. We already have the plans. Uh, yeah, like actually, um, another question I was, uh, I was thinking of, because um, Caitlin, I, I know you, you've served in elect elected office, right? Like for the water district? Okay, yeah, and Nick, you you were you were working in the Bernie campaign in 2016. Is that that that's right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So the reason why I wanted to point that out is because so far, like in a lot of like lefty media spaces, and I've I've been involved in independent left wing media for a while uh, as a freelance journalist. So, um, so I'm I'm in touch with like that kind of that sort of ecosystem of left media and. Um, you know, a lot of like, uh, I guess the term, the hip term is like bread tube, but like the left wing YouTube channels and so far, like the, the chorus as, as you, to, to put it, to put it this way, like the chorus has largely been singing the same tune, um, which is that, okay. Um, yeah, we agree with the green party. We agree with those parties, but 
uh, we live in a two-party system, and that's all we have. And we have to infiltrate the Democratic Party and take it over and get good progressive people in the Democratic Party. Um, and I think given your experience, especially, you know, Caitlin, you said since you've served in an elected office, because um, I noticed like both of you guys have an obviously very, very different uh, take than, than what, what the chorus of, of most of um, left-wing uh, media outlets. So, yeah, because the one thing I've noticed is that like, the argument is that like, hey, you don't know how the system works. We have to get in there and go in the system and like get good people within the Democratic Party and then we can change it. And so that's why like, you know, whenever people bring up, uh, you know, Jill Stein or the Green Party, the Peace and Freedom Party, like they're usually often like written off as like cranks or, you know, some other sort of uh, some other sort of label or word. Right. But given both your guys's respective experience uh what, what would you say to people who who say that stuff who say like yeah we we recognize the democratic party is flawed we recognize it it's it's dominated by a neoliberal corporatist pro-war establishment but there's only two parties and we have to take over the democratic party to get progressive change and when it comes time to election time just vote for the lesser two v evils and then and then and then go go from there and by the way i never i never I never know like what the next step is after voting Democrat. But wh what would you guys say? Because I, I yeah I definitely and definitely get into like you know the nitty gritty of like why working within the Democratic Party is is not useful for anyone who cares about progressive to socialist to to any kind of left wing values. Well, I think Nick can speak more to that since he's done that. But I, a couple things I'll say just first is that you know. To Peter's point, it's like, what do you have to show for that? What does that strategy have to show for itself? It has zero to show for itself. It has us moving backwards on every single one of these issues when, like I said earlier, we know what the policies are that we need and we're moving further away from Congress or, you know, the, the presidency or at the state level having them implemented. So you know, we've been told over and over again that that's what we need to do because that's the only option. And yet leadership who has been saying that has nothing to show for that strategy. So to me, you don't follow leaders that fail over and over and over again, and then keep telling us we're going to do the same thing, but somehow or other this next time it'll be different. And having worked as a green, as an elected official in a nonpartisan office, you know, I, I worked a lot with local Democrats and you know that just it just churns through them i mean these are good people who you know buy that message and then try their hardest and they just get fucked and if if bernie sanders and the campaign i mean this this is the one time in my life where i thought okay i mean i obviously didn't need to register as a democrat in order to vote for him but i wanted to make sure that my vote was going to be you know the most likely to be counted and there wouldn't be any bullshit so rather than being asking for a special, you know, democratic ballot. I just registered into the party, but I've never done that before. But with all of the momentum, with all of the energy, with all of the um, wonderful organizing that went into Iowa and New Hampshire and Nevada and all the work that was happening, the millions of dollars, the fundraising that he was kicking ass on, that's our money, uh, you know, collectively, yeah. that we were pouring in, people were putting in their time, we gave it our all. And what did we come, what do we have to show for it? A fucking task force. So AKA nothing once again. And it's like, how many times can you do that? 
Um, and Nick has the experience of having worked within all that and what it did to him. And it caused him to leave the Democratic Party because he's not a fucking idiot. <laughs> yeah, working with the superdelegates will make you uh, leave the Democrats, that's for sure, if you stand for anything. <laughs> Uh, everything that Caitlin said is spot on, uh, you know, and like, I mean, I just kind of want to take everyone through a brief history of attempting to reform the Democratic Party, like a brief Great. modern history. Please do. Yes, yes, please. In 2016, you know, in 2015, Bernie, you know, ran for the presidency and he was deliberating actually about running for president as an independent or as a Democrat. And he actually had to be talked out of running as an independent. You know, he was actually leaning towards that. Was it, you know, but some ad some advisors like Jeff Weaver, his campaign manager, totally establishment guy, uh, you know, talked him out of it. Uh, and so he ran as a Democrat. And what happened? You know, he got rigged. Like it, it was rigged against him. And he would have won in 2016 had it not been rigged against him. Okay. So, boom, wow, that was shocking, you know? Uh, millions of people all of a sudden said, millions of people who had been like disengaged from politics and then like, you know, made that like mental and emotional leap of like reinvesting themselves in politics and saying this system has never had anything to offer me, you know, but like here's someone and I'm gonna take a chance on them. And he was, you know, he was screwed out of it. It was rigged against him. All right, well, then those people said, you know, the progressive movement said, um, well, gee, uh, let's try to get something in, uh, in the platform, right? All right, they screwed Bernie, but if we get something in, we get some platform changes, yeah, then, like, we can move the party. Well, it turned out the platform isn't worth the paper it's printed on because the party doesn't adhere to it. <laughs> and, in fact, the party went further than that, and in 2017, they passed something called, um, a better deal, uh, which was a right. new platform. Yeah, I heard about that, yeah. Yeah. And what's shocking about this, and this wasn't, this was like, I, I, I didn't see almost, I saw almost no one pick up on this, you know, like how illegitimate it is for a political party to replace its platform selected by the delegates. Like I know it, and it was mostly Hillary delegates, but it's like still, you know, to say like mm, that thing you all passed, like, you know, in our supposed process for determining policy, doesn't matter. We're passing a new one. And then we're not going to adhere to the new one either, you know? And like, so that was the second thing, you know? And then after that, you know, progressives were like shocked about that. It's like, oh my God, the platform's fucking meaningless. And so then they thought, well, uh, gee, maybe we can, um, you know, maybe we can get Hillary Clinton elected and influence her. And boom, we saw what happened to that. Actually, it turns out you can't sell the epitome of the establishment in like, a moment where people hate the establishment and Trump won. And then people thought, well, maybe we can take over the Democratic Party by getting a DNC chair. You know, it's like, let's get behind this guy, Keith Ellison. And days after the 2016 general election, you know, like Bernie came out and said, yeah, I'm backing him. And that was the thing that you know, we were all gonna do. Um, and then of course, <laughs> a few calls from a few donors yeah, um, and a certain 44th president, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, that's right. Him too. He got he got involved. Uh, Obama got involved just like he did in 2020. And uh, 
And, you know, and, and the superdelegates who's like, okay, like this is another point, is like, who, who picks the DNC chair? You know, we don't get a vote. You don't get a vote. You know, it's, it's the DNC members. It's the superdelegates, you know? And so, of course, they pick, you know, and, and who are they? Like, they're, they're largely corporate lobbyists. It's like, you know, it's uh, Pfizer has someone, Oracle, you know, Citgo. Like, it's like the, Dem the DNC is a committee of corporations and people really don't understand that. And it's like, a, you know, every corporation sends their representative and then they deliberate on policy and like the direction of the country. And then the rest of us are left wondering, why didn't it come out in our favor? Why did it just like, why aren't they doing anything progressive? It's like, well, geez, because maybe it's a committee of corporations that's like masquerading as a political party, you know? So they screwed, they screwed Keith Ellison out of it. Tom Perez becomes the chair. All right, then progressives are like, oh my God, they're shocked, the mind's blown, you know? Oh my God, where are we gonna go next? And then they say, well, uh, let's try to replace the DNC members himself, you know? Then maybe we can like pick a better, a better chair and stuff like that and get more influence in the party. Well, in the fall of 2017, the, the DNC and Perez just like, literally removed and purged progressive members off the national committee. It's <laughs> like, so, oh, Ill so illegitimate, you know, just like Jim Zogby was one of them. He was one of the few superdelegates who had supported Bernie in 2016. He's like, oh, you're out. <laughs> and, and, um, and so, you know, again, progressives were like, holy shit, you know, this is shocking. <laughs> and they said, well, uh, what's next guys? You know, um, and then they thought, well, 2018 is coming up. Let's see if we can get some progressives elected in 2018, you know, the midterms. So they ran more than 100 more than 100 at the level of like uh, Congress, you know, and they endorsed by Our Revolution, DSA, uh, brand new Congress, Justice Democrats. Um, yeah. Out of those, only two, only two unseated corporate Democrats, AOC and Ayanna Presley. Sorry, two out of 100? Is that what you're saying? Two out of 104 who, that they were, yeah, that they were endorsing. That's right. Yeah, that's right. And, and, and there was never, you know, like there was never a reckoning. See, that's the thing. After all of these things, there's never a reckoning. There's never like, gee, maybe the strategy is flawed. Instead, what happens is the progressive movement lowers its expectations and becomes more incrementalist every time. Right. You know? And the reality is all of this goes back. I mean, we're talking about it in our lifetimes. I'm a little bit older than the rest of y'all, but um, this goes back to, you know, every single time. I mean, Jesse Jackson, when he ran in the primary, same, yeah. you know, Jerry Brown, when he ran in the primary, it doesn't, it's, it's, you know, this is the most, this is the, these are the examples that all of us can, ha you know, know people who personally have experience with it, but it goes way back before that. It's so, it's, it's the system. It's the way it works that you can't adjust it. And it's because they're a private corporation. And so they're not, they have no, there's no idea, there's no sense that, um, oh, you know, can we sue them for uh, cheating us out of our platform? Could we sue them if they pick a different candidate other than the one that wins the most delegates? No, they can do whatever they want. They legally have all the power. So, yeah, I want to say something to, to, to bolster both your points, because um, uh, I, as a journalist, I typically cover gentrification and police violence, particularly, mostly here in, in the Bay Area in California. 
And, you know, for anyone who's familiar with, with California politics and the Bay Area politics, it's largely controlled by Democrats. And even though Cal a state like California and a region like the Bay Area, pretty much like the local and the, the local electoral system is controlled by Democrat Democrats. Um, when it comes to like, let's say I've been to numerous um, local city council meetings in like Oakland and San Francisco and uh, Vallejo, where it's usually like, let's say if they're the hot button issue is like something related to police violence, or even um, there is a proposed like a uh, mass surveillance system that was supposed to be proposed that was proposed in Oakland in 2013 but there's a lot of like local organizing that basically halted that program from being implemented but a lot of democrats local democratic politicians in Oakland city council were largely going along with this massive uh, local surveillance system when it comes to police brutality i mean it, you know especially when families want to get justice for for their you know, for their loved ones who are victims of police violence, largely, again, these local elected Democratic um, council people largely side with police. Then when it comes to, let's say, something like rent control or gentrification, like I can't I can't tell you how many times I've been to city councils and the Democrats are largely opposed to something pretty basic as rent control. Like rent control is not even public housing. This is just basic rent control. Like, um, so yeah, like, I mean, Nick, what you're saying kind of matches with, with, my sort of assessment, which is the Democratic Party largely is structured to be a corporate party and a petty bourgeois party. And I think like what happens with a lot of people who are further on the left, like, you know, to progressive to socialist, who, I think that I think what the perception is that, okay, the Democratic Party's flawed, but like, these are probably people we can sway, or they're like, kind of our, they're still our friends, but we just have to convince them. But at some point, it's like, wait, you can't convince these people. Because like they're fundamentally opposed to your interests. Like if you if you support justice for victims of police violence or expanding rent control or even public housing, and you have a party which I, I think Nick, I think the way you put it was like just spot on. It's just a committee of corporations. If you if that's your party, like those two are antagonistic. Like they're two opposing sides. Like there's no way you can kind of convince a party that is wholly in bed with. The police system, the prison system, and big corporations and big real estate to concede to, uh, you know, again, something as simple as rent control. And like I, like I said, rent control is not even that far. But if even Democrats in California aren't even willing to go for rent control, that says something about the party. Well, yeah, the Democratic Party of California is who made it so that we don't have Medicare for all. They got the majority in the legislature. They said that the reason why they couldn't do it before was because of Republicans. Then we give them the majority and then they throw it in a committee and say, oh, we can't do that. So, yeah, every step of the way, it's like, who's really the bigger threat to our agenda at that point? And even the progressives that are elected, like, the, you know, so like, look at those two that won in 2018, like, you know, AOC. Like they, you know, enter a, the minute they're elected, like the whole democratic theory, democratic party theory of change is like, okay, we'll elect some people this cycle and then we'll elect some more people another cycle and then another cycle, you know, and then it's like, we'll, we'll slowly replace them that way and then we'll eventually have a majority by 2050. And then it's like, and it's like, but hold on a minute. Like, is anyone stopping to look at what happens to the people who do get elected? That's like the like tiny 
minuscule like rounding error of people who get elected like you know the less than one percent like AOC like uh she came in like you know breathing fire and she was like we're gonna primary all the corporate democrats in 2020 you know justice democrats that's where i came out of and she said we're gonna form a corporate free caucus because the cpc she pointed out correctly takes mostly the congressional progressive caucus takes most they like most of the members take corporate money and so guess well guess what's happened now she's abandoned her plans to form a corporate free caucus and she's not primarying people anymore basically like you know she's basically backed off of that so it's like wait a minute so where's the plan to win now where's the plan to take over the party and i think it's worth saying you know why would she do that it's not because she became shitty in her heart or something like that <laughs> but you can't operate in that world effectively i mean they have everything on lock you want to get on a committee you want to talk to somebody you want to um, have any resources to give back to your district at home so that they'll reelect you? Well, you gotta play the game, little girl. And that's what'll happen to anyone. I mean, that's part of why Bernie Sanders, I think, can't really step into a visionary, revolutionary role either, because you don't serve in the Senate for decades and not have to, to some degree, friend up with these people. And even if you can't stand it, you still have to um, get along with them in order to get anything done for your constituents back home that you're there believing that you're, you know, trying to fight for who need resources desperately. And so nobody would be able to be in that kind of a, I mean, even in my little water district board, I found that, you know, you want to get anything done? Being on the margins doesn't do it. You know, so then you have to figure out, you have to move towards the other side. And, you know, every one of those steps makes it harder um, for you to hold out uh, when you are also trying to challenge the structure of the whole situation that you're participating in. And so it's an untenable position that these people are in and uh, they can't they can't hold up. They don't have the clout, they don't have the capacity, and, and really nobody would, which is, again, why, uh, because the whole structure of the party isn't one that has their back. Going off that, uh, something that I've been thinking about is that, you know, you guys, of course, are obviously 100% correct in diagnosing the problem of, like, he, there's no individual person that can be elected that will come, come in and change it, you know, it doesn't matter how good or how powerful they are or whatever um but america is a very individualistic country and you know even on the left there are a lot of you know perhaps anarchist or libertarian tendencies and people don't necessarily like working together or you know maybe they read 1984 or something and they think parties are inherently evil and so they're um you know resistant to you know put joining throwing in with a left-wing or a workers party um, and I guess, yeah, but the problem is, of course, you know, the only way we can, you know, achieve anything is working collectively. So what do you say to the people who, you know, how do you, how do you get these atomized individuals to, you know, coalesce, I guess? Which individuals? People, let's, you know, just pretend I'm like an anarchist and I like, <laughs> you know, I don't, I don't like parties, man. I don't really, that's, that's kind of a downer. And, you know, I don't, you know, I, I just, I just do my own thing. Right. And, you know, explain to me basically why that's, 
why that's not good? Well, the, you know, I would say that the goal isn't necessarily to like coalesce, you know, what, uh, like, um, like the, the left, so to speak. I think that where we need to build a party is that we need to build it on the issues that the majority of Americans believe, which are issues that we also happen to believe. You know, um, getting money out of politics, it's like, you know, 93% majority, you know, out of that, like, and there's like a fury over that, you know? So there's a new political coalition to be built there, you know? Um, Medicare for all, also, I mean, raising wages, um, you know, eliminating, canceling student debt. Like there are coalitions to be built around these like really visceral, you know, economic issues that like affect people's daily lives and like really, you know, shoot, you know, demolish the quality of, of their life and really restrict their, their like their personal freedom and their mental, you know, and physical health. Like, you know, so it's, that I think is like the premise for the coalition that needs to be built that can actually attract like a majority, can, can realign American politics, like, you know, um, and attract a majority of working people to it, you know? And, and then like from across the political spectrum, because people, you know, who vote Republican, they are also, you know, hurting under these issues. And they're also being, you know, deceived by these two parties, like just like people who, you know, are voting Democratic. I think also that, uh, you know, I mean, the biggest block of people that we have uh, to, to pull from are people who don't actually participate in voting. And so, um, you know, and that's a range of people, but the reality is that, you know, polling shows when those people are talked to, um, that for the most part, the reason why people aren't voting and participating is because they don't believe it does anything and they don't have any sense of their own power because neither they've tried, somebody they know has tried, and it hasn't resulted in anything. And so I think the task before us is to help people recognize their power. And, um, you know, I am, I am a leftist because I believe that collective power is is the best power and that uh, when people have an opportunity to work together to to fight for their sovereignty and their agency that that then continues to you know help feed them to grow and to be you know real human beings which our culture and our society discourages us from tapping into our our human beingness and so I, you know, I, I agree with what Nick said. And also, though, I would say, you know, to the hypothetical anarchist um, of which, you know, is my roots and background, actually, that, you know, we are talking about um, working together to meet our needs, organizing for political power collectively, and uh, that that, you know, ultimately a political power, a, a political party that's going to replace the Democratic Party, you know, also runs people for local office, runs people for state office, and, you know, it serves people's needs and becomes a community and a place where people are working together to realize the communities that they deserve and that they want for their friends and family. And um, so, you know, that's what we need to do. And anybody who wants to go live on an island, okay. But um, to me, you know, it's, it's not that different than organizing 
for you know labor movements labor unions which unfortunately have mostly been co-opted in this day and age but that it's still is a very important institution that that we yeah. need um or you know or community groups and uh, and i think that th that's part of what i like about the name that uh, movement for a people's party chose um it's not just people's party it's movement for a people's party recognizing that the way that we exercise our power is through our movements and that to me is different than um what we normally might think of as a political party uh we're we're getting close to the end so i i it will just go for a couple more minutes but um i just want to kind of keep a marker of time but uh i i, I wanted to i don't know if you guys saw glenn greenwald's intercept piece basically that non-voters are not privileged and um yeah and i think like this really kind of squares with what both you and nick, uh you know, caitlin and, and nick are talking about um because he brings up this um pew research center study it was conducted in um basically the end of 2016 but um it kind of squares with something i've noticed um so like I'll, I'll just read some of these these figures and then kind of um uh sort of sort of bring bring it um kind of tell a story that relates to it but so like it says um when it comes to non-voters uh when you break it down by race so the majority of voters 74 percent are white 10 percent are black 10 percent hispanic and five percent other when you look at non-voters 52 percent are white 15 percent are black 19 percent are hispanic and 12 percent are other and then um i didn't really i didn't really like know when you get into education and income it's even more striking so non-voters 51 percent have a high school diploma or less that's just 50, like high school diploma or less 51 percent some college 33 percent not uh 16 percent are at least college graduates with voters it's mostly the majority or the, the plurality 37 percent are college graduates 34 percent have some college and 30 percent have less than a high school diploma and then when you look at income the largest bulk is between thirty thousand a year and seventy four thousand nine hundred ninety nine a year um thirty three percent is seventy five thousand or more twenty eight percent is less than thirty thousand this is just for voters amongst non-voters the majority fifty six percent make less than thirty thousand a year uh so if you look at like the people who don't vote like what you get is mostly largely non-white largely working class and low income and um well i mean outside of freelance writing i work at a community college i mean now with the quarantine i have to do the online education which that's this whole other can of worms that i won't go into but um when i did when i was actually doing face-to-face -face teaching uh one of the community colleges i work in is uh, is in richmond california and my student population is largely mostly black and hispanic with some asians and um white white people are actually the minority in terms of numbers but for the most part in terms of of income it's largely like a low-income blue-collar area if anyone's familiar with richmond california like that's it's a very it's similar to where i live in pittsburgh it's a very like kind of post-industrial working class largely non-white area and um i have a, i know a lot of students who just don't vote um but like you know they care like they obviously care about issues like you know i've had conversation with students about police violence because it's you know something that hits home for them poverty um obviously things like 
education affordability and education access and equality, like that's something that they care about. Um, uh, immigration is a large issue for a lot of them because I have a lot of students. I've, I've had some students who are DACA recipients. Um, but the thing is, is uh, a lot of, like I was talking to um, one of my coworkers and he was kind of lamenting like, you know, how come like, why, why don't these kids vote? Like, why aren't you voting? Blah, blah, blah. And I was thinking about it, I'm like, I can kind of see why they don't vote because if if you're on that kind of edge of American society and the American economic economic system in which like you're pretty much at the bottom, like your reaction to the system is you're gonna be a lot more cynical because you're gonna look at the two party system, this whole system is like, what the fuck have you done for me? Like you know, yeah, like I can vote Democrat or Republican, but hey, you know, there's still poverty in my neighborhood. There's still crime in my neighborhood. The police are still going to shoot me. It's getting gentrified. Things are getting worse. So, you know, if you're in that position, I think there are a lot of people in those communities who feel like, why why the fuck should we, uh, should we vote? And it kind of translates into these figures that Greenwald pointed out. But um, I, I guess one question I have is, um, for both of you guys, uh, how do... Because this is one of the, this is something I've been saying often, like, I, that I, I think gets left, does not get mentioned enough in these left-wing media spaces that should be talked about is, and I think this is where the Sanders campaign kind of messed up in 2020, is that I think Sanders was too focused on mobilizing his sort of coalition of already kind of hardened leftists and socialists, but there wasn't enough to reach these non-voters, like the kinds who are like my students, right? Like people who live in those communities that, that have been pretty much fucked over for generations. Um, I think like there is a kind of problem within the quote unquote left of like, you know, we say these ideas, but like, are we actually really engaging with some of the worst hit communities that are hit by, you know, neoliberal trade policies, um, redlining, gentrification, all these other th- all these other things, right? So that's something I've been wondering, but I want to kind of hear from you guys, just uh, like, w- especially as we kind of talk about organizing a people's party, like, how do we mobilize people who, I think rightly, don't vote because they see the electoral system as like, it does not matter if I vote Democrat or Republican. At the end of the day, I'm still screwed. I'm still living in poverty. My neighborhood still sucks. Um, things are going to get worse and worse and worse. And they may look at like CNN or MSNBC and a lot of these like kind of liberal pundits and like them, you know, kind of wagging their finger like, if you don't vote for Biden, you're going to have Trump in office and blah, 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 blah. And it's like, how, like who, who the fuck is going to listen to that? So I want to know from you guys, like, how do we reach people, you know, who are rightfully angry at the electoral system to get them actually politically mobilized for something a lot more transformative? Well, I think Bernie would have had a lot easier time doing that in the general if he had been able to win the primary. But the problem with the Democratic Party primary process is that you are more having to reach out to these more likely voters, which means more privileged voters, um, and kind of sell yourself to them. And then you got to pivot over to, I mean, that's what he kept saying. And that's why I think he was absolutely right that he had a better chance of beating Trump than anybody else. Cause I think he could have reached those people better, not because so much Bernie Sanders, but because a pop progressive populist message, a leftist pro- progressive populist message is actually what folks want. And that would have been exciting. And that would have been something different, but 
uh, our candidates don't have an opportunity to get into that general because they're having to appease Democratic primary voters by playing that Democratic primary game. And that would be, I think, another reason why you sidestep out of that. You build the party and you talk about politics in a different way. Um, and then you're up against, uh, you know, the, the corporate parties in the general and you don't have to appease to their most likely voters who are the most conservative amongst them. I agree with that. And I think you also need to make politics a lot more accessible than it is right now to people and a lot more relevant than it is now, you know? And so like, you know, with the, uh, you know, some, some of the left and particularly like, I mean, the mainstream media, uh, they make fun of, you know, uh, Trump, you know, for the way that he speaks. Um, but the way that Trump speaks, like, connects with people, you know, like he uses a simple language. He's, you know, not grandiose. Um, and it, it works. It actually kind of, you know, it, it connects with people. And so I feel like the left also needs to, like, simplify its messaging. It needs to... Um, and it needs to be very direct and plain spoken. It needs to be accessible. Yeah, like, oh man, that that just reminds me. I had a, one of my students, um, because I, I I teach English, so like I've had I have students like ask me, like to help them with their papers, and you know, at a community college level, we're kind of like the in between of high school and academia. So like we're you we're usually preparing students to communicate in an academic environment an academic language is not the same as everyday language that everyday people speak and uh i had one student who just uh just pretty really just like just hit the nail on the head she's like adam like you know this is this is not my language i don't get it you got to help me and like like you know what you said nick i think like there are when people look at politics i think it's kind of similar that like there is a kind of obviously we're all speaking english duh and like yeah the history of the english language is like the reason why we speak is because of imperialism and all that okay got it but there is a difference between like how people talk in normal conventional news and then how everyday people talk with each other and how they articulate those their needs and aspirations and how they feel um but yeah no i i i agree with that like what you just said just kind of reminded me of a something one of my students said that I think kind of um, it, it spoke volumes that I think uh, and it, it also kind of ties into I think even if you look at a lot of effective political leaders and revolutionaries throughout history one common factor is that they're able to speak directly to people in like plain no bullshit language like I know I know exactly what you're thinking I can speak your language and I can articulate your demands Obviously, Trump is not revolutionary. I don't want to put him in that category, but <laughs> there, there is an art to political communication that, you know, yeah, he's he's uh, you know obviously like a neo-fascist, but in terms of how he's able to co to communicate to his base, yeah, there's something there in terms of of political rhetoric that I don't I don't think the left has really um, truly mastered as a technique in terms of political communication that I think is is worth studying. Um, cause a lot of lefty spaces that I've been in are very like, a lot of it sounds like a Harvard law school seminar and not like a pub, you know, you know, well, it's really elitist and it's really academic and the, and the, and that's just true, you know, and, and, you know, people's sort of 
love of Obama and the way he talks. Yeah, he, yeah. you know, he sort of does that the best. Um, and that's what, you know, especially white elitist, um, upper class Americans want. That's what they feel comfortable with, you know, but give me a Rashida Tlaib, uh, any day. <laughs> um, so yeah, I guess we'll probably be winding down quickly, but I guess my last question is this, uh, Obviously, the experiences of the 2016-2020 primaries among, you know, all of American history has shown, you know, sort of the ruthlessness and the, you know, there's no length to which, you know, the bourgeoisie uh, will go to protect its interests. And while, of course, it's obviously a fool's errand, as we've, you know, laid out in many different ways of trying to achieve that reform in the Democratic Party, certainly, you know, once... You know, it's what, you know, once you guys, if or if you guys start to get some success, some traction, you know, it's only a matter of time before, you know, the uh, the media starts uh, turning its, you know, fire on you and, you know, starts, you know, making all sorts of slanders up and all that stuff. I guess my question is how, you know, what lessons have been learned such that, you know, you'll be ready to deal with that Um because that's really the big struggle, I think, in breaking through and uh, and actually, you know, becoming a, you know, a dominant party. There's been a flourishing of independent media since um, the, you know, Bernie campaign uh, of the first one. Uh, and and um, in fact, the establishment realized what a threat it was to it. Uh, since then, and that's kind of why they embarked on the fake news crusade. Um, it was as a pretext to clamp down on independent media uh, and social media, uh, which had powered the Bernie campaign. They realized, oh wow, this is like a threat to us. People are communicating and organizing beyond the scope of our control, peer-to-peer, bypassing gatekeepers of information. Um, and so what they've done since then is they've, you know, they've tried to clamp down on the algorithms on social media, like, you know, put a lid on organic kind of organizing and things that go viral. Um, and also, you know, tried to kind of like suppress YouTube, independent YouTube content. Uh, but the, tellingly, they still have not been able to contain the growth of independent media. Uh, and it goes to show that, that, you know, the kind of hunger that is out there, despite all of the different tricks, the shadow banning and unsubscribing, everything they do, um, you've still seen the explosion of channels, you know, that are like these populist progressive channels like Jimmy Dore and Rising now. You know, um, Jimmy Dore's up to 700,000 subscribers, you know, um, like, uh, and that's mostly within the last four years. Rising has gone just in a matter of like months. It's gone from a few thousand to about 400,000 subscribers. So people are gravitating to these voices and, you know, um, and, 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 and I think that they can break through. Certainly, I, I love the, um, you know, the growth of independent media. I remember the bad old days when all you had was alternate um, Shout out to Alternet. But I, I feel like one of the lessons, you know, or at least that's what they said, is that, you know, that you still can't break through the Democratic Party faithful who listens to NPR, watches MSNBC, and, 
you know, supports all of the ideas, but are just locked in. And I guess, is there any, you know, how do you break through to those people? There, there are those people, but I'll like, they're, they are a small minority, actually, like the, the numbers are really overestimated. Um, and so like the Gallup polls on uh, what part people's party affiliation is, has broken it down pretty well. You know, and it's shown that there's, okay, there's about 42% of the country that's independent and there's 27% that's Democrat and Republican. But then they further zoomed in on those people who, who still self-identify as Democrat and Republican and they asked them, well, would you, are, are you happy being a Democrat or Republican or would you like rather be a part, do you still think that we need a major new party? And they found that half of those 27% of Democrats and half of the 27% of Republicans also said that we need a new party. So that boils down to 13% about of Americans who are happily Democrats and about 13, 12% who are happily Republicans. And the rest of the country is just fed up with this system. And so that tell, you know, that, so that tells you that kind of like the myth of party loyalty that people are like, just I'm blue, blue no matter who is like, that is a lot smaller than um than, than a lot of people believe what's really important is that we show people that there is an alternative and that that's something that they can connect with and believe in and that that is viable and that's why it's so important that this new party um be big and have the feeling of the moment and so i just want to make sure your listeners know about demexit.us which is our website that we um, created uh, coming out of, we had started a group called Burn the DNC that was gonna do a protest and shut down of the convention if they stole the primary from Sanders and then coronavirus um, and uh, South Carolina <laughs> combo made that not how we planned. And so um, we, you know, kind of started to pivot over to Dem Exit, recognizing that um, having people leave the Democratic Party was going to come sooner than the convention, and then Movement for a People's Party um, joined up with us on that, and then we decided to kind of just merge into Movement for a People's Party. So if people go to demexit.us, they can help us show the numbers of people who are not interested in playing their game, and also check out peoplesparty.org. Um, but I think that, you know, a lot of it is going to have to be uh, talking to our friends. So sharing it on social media, but also, you know, text these links, um, email them to folks and talk to people directly. And I'm sure that all of the listeners to the show, you know, know people who are either ready to leave the Democratic Party or already have or never were part of it, but who would love to help us kill the Democratic Party. And that's step one, right? So help us come do that. And um, we have to, uh, the good news too is that the other thing I wanted to say is that a lot of the people who believe mainstream media are older folks. And um, as time goes yeah. on, that's less and less relevant. And so the, the sort of captivated audience listening to the propaganda from the corporate parties is shrinking. And I have a lot of hope in that too. Yeah, yeah, no, that's true. I just want to echo that, Caitlin. Yeah, when it comes to um, people who watch like cable news and uh, MSNBC, and um, uh, yeah, it's a larger 
usually usually largely like kind of more boomer to older Gen X kind of crowd who uh, who listen to that. Whereas young people like millennials and Gen Z are, are a lot more, you know, online when it comes to listening to media. So yeah, yeah, I think that's that's something I noticed. I think that that cable news is largely is largely a boomer and older Gen X kind of crowd. Um, uh, yeah, um, I, I don't, I don't have any other questions. Do you have a, do you have another question, Peter, or, or let's wrap this up? I mean, I certainly could talk about this a while because I think this is, you know, a, a task of world historical proportions. Um, and so it's, it's something that I will, I will definitely be following you guys and trying to figure out, you know, where this thing's going because I'm I am personally of the idea that like as you know sort of the worker as a working class movement is developing in the United States of which we have no choice but to develop one um, a party will be essential for that and so you know certainly I yeah I will I've been trying to figure out sort of where to put my you know sort of whatever political energies that I have you know trying to figure out uh, who to get behind. So I will definitely be uh, looking. I will definitely be watching you guys and, and uh, you know, seeing. Uh, yeah, I, I definitely I'm behind you guys 100 percent because the immediacy of the moment is what I think is key. Well, we'd love to have you with us, Peter and Adam. Yeah. Yeah. I uh, I mean, uh, just to kind of you know, lay my chips on the table. Like I, <laughs> I haven't, I have not voted for a Democrat in the general election since 2008. <laughs> and I, I, uh, it's to kind of echo something Caitlin said earlier. Um, for, for those of you who don't know about California's primary system, we do technically have an open primary. So if you're registered, like nonpartisan slash independent, um, you're allowed to vote in the Democratic Party, but sometimes like there's weird kind of shenanigans. So I to to vote for Bernie Sanders in the primary, I re-registered as a Democrat to vote for Bernie Sanders in the in, in this primary. But now that he's out, I went back to reg- being registered as a nonpartisan, non-affiliated, independent voter, and I've I've been that I've been that way for long time like over a decade at this point so i uh which actually as a journalist kind of i feel like suits me well because it kind of gives me a sense of of distance from the two-party system and i kind of feel a little bit more it's easier for me to kind of openly criticize the two-party system because i i have no i just have no personal stake in it so yeah caitlin when you say like you know basically destroy the democratic party um i've (laughs) That's something I felt for a while. Like I, I just I don't I have no I have no faith or stake in this two party system because um yeah, it's been bad for a while and uh so I, I was I'm that's why I'm so glad that you guys came on this show because um that it's just something I've seen in lefty media, which is that like you know, it a lot of the energy and political energy gets kinda suck it gets sucked up in the two party system all the time. I think there's like this saying that um the Democratic Party is like the graveyard of movements. Like that's where movements go to die, and that's like a that's been something that's been happening, you know, for for a long time. And you know, we're in a along with us being in like real 
deep shit when it comes to this not just the health and human impact of this pandemic but also the economic fallout even like the mental health fallout that like i'm not even like because it's people being isolated for such a long time there's going to be some mental health repercussions from that but like even looking at the economic fallout from that like i don't know if we're fully prepared so we're in a very kind of unprecedented almost like uncharted uncharted moment in history i mean you know uh uh it, it totally disproves Francis Fukuyama's thesis of the end of history. Like, that's just gone. Like, history's in motion now. Like, there is history. And we're in the middle of history happening on, you know, on on a scale that, like, we can't even fathom. So, yeah, I definitely, you know, just, just tip my hat off to you guys and the work you're doing because I think it's 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 super... It's incredibly, it's incredibly important, especially in the moment that we're in because... Um, I think what I appreciate about, about what you guys are doing is that you're at least articulating that there is an alternative to this current state of affairs, which I think that's what's missing on the left, so to speak, the quote unquote left in America is, is what is the actual alternative? And like, is there a light at the end of the tunnel Absolutely. beyond this and, morass? Know, yeah. For me, uh, especially when you layer on top climate change, but certainly coronavirus kind of put an even finer point on it. It's like, I'm not interested in just getting killed off <laughs> without yeah. trying, without trying really, really hard and putting everything that we can. And if we're going to survive as a species, we have to evolve to do shit differently than we have been doing it. But, but we also don't need to think that this is the way human beings have been our whole existence because that's not actually true. We are a cooperative people. We are community minded. We take care of each other. People like to work. People like to have meaningful work. I mean, all the things we want are actually in our DNA and we can take this opportunity and um, take the agency that we deserve and that we know how to actually exercise. Every single one of us has it. And so that's what I'm excited to do. And uh, if y'all um, want to team up with us, then, you know, please, or, uh, but we, it's so important that we have people um, spreading the word and helping folks know that there are alternatives out there. So thanks for the work that you do on your podcast. And uh, if people want to continue the conversation with me, the best place to find me is on Twitter. So it's Caitlin, K-A-I-T-L-I-N underscore S-B. Great. Uh, uh, Nick, are you on Twitter? Like, what's your, like, socials or what, what's, what's the way for if, if, if people want to get in touch uh, with you? Twitter is also great. Um, that is, I'm Nick underscore Branna. Um, and then also, I would say, you know, the best way to come and participate in all of this and be a part of it is uh, go to peoplesparty.org and uh, sign up to volunteer there and join our Slack team. Uh, that's where we're communicating on a daily basis and we're functioning in a decentralized uh, uh, way with working groups, um, and that's that's where you can contribute. So this is the moment, like you guys said, and and it's it's been great being on. Really appreciate it. Oh yeah, no, I thank you. Yeah, so yeah, for for you listeners, um, if you guys are, I mean, I know a lot of our listeners are. The reason why they're following us is because they are fed up with the two party system. So, um, yeah, like if and especially because. Um, you know, this, this coronavirus and this pandemic is putting the global order in total jeopardy. And I think there's a kind of sense of, um, 
hopelessness that people feel. So if you're feeling hopelessness with the, with the state of affairs, or or if you're just totally jaded and disappointed, because um, I know like I have friends of mine who are you know musicians and and whatnot who feel jaded and so if you're one of those people and you feel jaded and you're just feeling just angry and frustrated look check out people's party dem exit um any kind of organization um i mean definitely this this isolation is making it harder to physically organize but you know we kind of have to you know be creative at this point but um that's it uh do you have anything else to add peter because i'll just 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 close out keep up the good work sweet yeah so anyway nick caitlin thank you so much for coming on um and for listeners you know if you if you like this episode and you want more donate 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 um we're a po- an independent podcast so way you can keep us running is to subscribe to our patreon patreon.com slash real sankara hours that's patreon.com slash real sankara hours Follow us on our Podbean to keep up with our RSS feed. You can download it. Um, we're on Spotify, so you can uh, stay up to date with our episodes as, as we as we keep going on. I know people like to listen to podcasts on different platforms like iTunes, Spotify, RSS feeds, and, and, and SoundCloud. So we're still trying to get on uh, iTunes, but our RSS feed is there. It's easier to follow us uh, from that. But And yeah, if, if you're jaded with the system... Check out People's Party, Dem Exit, um, support independent media, and and you know let's let's work together. To, let's work together to make this world better, or at least make it less shitty than it is now. <laughs>